In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. First of all, happy Feast of the Cross to everyone. Yeah. Um, I, when we started First Peter, we didn't know how we were going to break it down, and it's just going to be taking it step by step. And I promise you, I didn't plan it this way. But today, he's going to be talking a lot about the cross without mentioning the cross. And, and then, actually, today in the Catholic epistle, we're not going to get that far, but it was 1 Peter chapter 2. And it was all about the cross and what, what, that, um, what happened on the cross. And if we remember, St. Peter is able to talk as an eyewitness. He was there through good and bad, right, with the denying, but he was he saw exactly what happened. He reached the point where he can speak of the cross from from a perspective of a of a witness, somebody who experienced. And then we'll talk about other things that he experienced in his life that will relate to um, uh, today's readings as well. So um, just a quick recap from, from last week. Last week, we uh, so two weeks ago, we started with the intro of who St. Peter is, and we talked a lot about him. Last week, we, we, did, we did the first section, and um, we talked about that this letter was written to, to many people, basically new believers, who are going through persecutions. Because, yes, the church is growing, but just as the church has been growing the persecution grows as well. People are against the growth of the church. Um, and then we talked about how he started the first time he spoke in First Peter, after he greeted himself, uh, introduced himself as, and greeted the people as an apostle of Christ. He then started talking about the Trinity. He, he, broke, he broke down the Trinity in a way to say, basically, this is who God is. Father... Son and Holy Spirit. Um, the last thing we ended with last time was the end of uh, uh, verse 4, which was the, the idea of the living hope that as we continue in life, we focus and our heart is on the inheritance, which is eternal life, and our uh, salvation, which the last part in verse 5, he says, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And we talked about how our salvation is revealed to us in Christ, but is completely revealed to us when we um, finish our race, when we're entering uh, life with Christ and the, the, the everlasting life. So um, any questions or comments about that first before we move on? If not, we can we can get started. Um, if somebody can read verse verses six through nine. Six through nine. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if you, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at, at, <clears throat> at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of joy, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay. There's a lot in this uh, section here. He starts the letter... Earlier, we said with this statement of faith, the, the Trinity. But then he goes right into a praise in verse 3. And we read that last week. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It's a praise to God. What he talks about now is basically saying, I know you're going through a lot. They were dealing with things then, everything up till death. Everything. This persecution, and remember what like level they're at. They're babies in the faith. 
and they're being persecuted. So this letter was mostly written to them to say, hold on, I know it's hard. I know, I know it's hard. And you'll see here, in the first thing Joe read, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes. Why do we go through trials? Why, why does God make things... Like, why do we have to go through trials in order to connect to God? Shouldn't it be easy? Like, what, why? Why? What do you think? What's the purpose of trials? Is it part of the purification process? Okay, part of the purification process. How serious are you about him? Huh? How serious are you about him? So you think it's, it's more of like a test? It's not, well, it can be a test, but I don't, you know, like God tested Joe, a job, for example. Yeah. Right? Or Joe. Uh, uh, English is my second language. Uh, he tested Joe, right? So it's, but that was, like, that was a test, right? Yeah. So it's, I think it varies from time to time, but I think uh, in, in, it's kind of like when you're taking a course, in order for you to kind of pass it, you have milestones that you have to hit. So this is maybe a way of God's, uh, God's way of having you hit milestones. In so, we have, so here's where we have to be careful. Because some of the trials are not coming from God. Right. Yeah. So, so God allows for trials. But it's not that he's, he's not the, the tough teacher that's giving us exams well, Saint, necessarily. St. James says... Like, and we're going to read that. Yeah, don't we're, yes, we're going to read the St. James part because... St. Peter and St. James are, remember, they're both Catholic epistles. They're both talking to beginning Christians. So it's kind of like a, a, a major theme here that's saying, like, if you're a Christian, you're going to go through not just one type of trial. Notice here it says various trials. So it's not like there's no, like, one solution fits all. Like, there's no perfect... Um, uh, answer. But what's interesting here, he says, in this you greatly rejoice. Uh, why would St. Peter say you're rejoicing? In this you greatly rejoice. Like if the devil doesn't, if you're not growing in your spiritual life, the devil's like, is kind of leaving you alone. So you feel like you're not, if you're not being tempted, if you're not being fought all the time, there's no room for you to kind of Bro. Absolutely. That and goes back to what Joe said, the purif the purification process. The 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 chastening, the the this whole process of and he says it. He says it, he says, You're tested by fire. Just like you think of how is how how are like precious metals made? Through fire. We have to go through fire. Not necessarily in order to, to prove to God this is what I, but a Christian a Christian is someone who's Christ-like what kind of life did Christ live? he was just hanging out on the beach every day fishing what kind of was it easy? nothing he did was easy they didn't leave him alone for for one minute if you read if you read through the, the gospels in chunks, I, I, I always recommend every once in a while to do that. Like not just you know a chapter or two at a time, but like if you have a chance to read like five, ten chapters at a time to kind of get more of the story rather than having it ch uh, choppiness, to look at it and say, "Oh my goodness, he just did this miracle." And they're waiting for him. And their biggest concern is that he did it on a Saturday. Like, he went through a lot. They wanted to, they were persecuting him from the, from the day, the first day he opened his mouth. First day he opened his mouth, they said, who is this guy? Why, why is he relating himself to God? First day. So, 
a part of being a Christian is going through trials. Now, there's two ways of going through trials. There's the person who goes through trials and is miserable, or the person who rejoices through the trials. How can we rejoice through the trials? How does it make sense to it? Give me an example of how we can rejoice when things are... I'm not... I'm maybe not persecution to the point of death, but we have our own trials and struggles. How do we, how do we have joy? This is one of, I think, the biggest or the toughest things to really uh, to understand. It's an opportunity for you to pray, right? Okay. You pray and, or establishing that relationship with Christ. Okay. You find joy in that. Okay. Right? So it's the process. It's the process. It's yeah. the journey through right. it, not the result. Right. Right. Okay. What else? I was going to say when you feel like you're not alone, you know, you, you know that God is with you even through this time. So you feel his presence somehow, even when things exactly. look bad. Exactly. Think about when we're going through a trial. Mm -hmm. We're going through a really tough time in our life. Whatever the situation is. Do we pray more then? Or do we pray when things are smooth, like cruise control? We pray more, obviously, when we're going through a really tough time. More fervent. Yeah. It's not like super fervent. Exactly. Because it's something, we're very passionate about this. Things are very, very tough. We have, we have way more to talk about. At that moment, we're not timing, we're not timing our prayers. We're not saying, God, I'm going to give you five minutes, because at that point, we're he, we're we're holding on for dear life. In order to rejoice through a trial, we have to see Christ there. The only way we can rejoice is if we get pat, if we look past the trial. So if I'm here. This is, this is me. There's a trial here. I have to see the cross. I have to look at Christ in order for me to rejoice. If I don't see the finish line, if I don't see Christ, there's no way I'm rejoicing. It's not going to happen. You don't rejoice if you don't have, I don't want to say um, an end, but if you don't have God, because then you won't be able to get through the trials. The trials are the end. If you don't see Christ through, like if you don't see Christ, and if you don't go into the trials with Christ. And now, so, so just to read it again, and keep these in mind. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith be much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You reach a point that you go through the trial with praise. Thank you, God, for this accident. It... Again, it doesn't make sense. We never say. I know, I know. It, you, you, we never said after like we said. Yeah. Something bad happened more than. At the accident. moment, at the moment, it sometimes it's hard. But I mean, thank you, God, for this whatever failure in a test. Again, it's it doesn't make sense. But if we look at it and we see Christ in everything that we do, we can thank God for everything that we do. And we can praise Him. That's why St. Peter here in verse 3 started with a praise. He's saying, he's writing to them knowing that they're struggling. But why did he start with praise in the letter? You're, you're a person who's struggling. You're a person who's struggling with something. You're going through a tough time. Okay? And you go to Abuna. And Abuna says, you know, let's let's pray the prayer of thanksgiving. 
you just told Abuna your problems. And Abuna's like, okay, have you thanked God? Let's thank God. Let's sing, uh, you know, Psalm 150. Praise God in all his saints. Pray. Why? But you're just telling him. You're just spilling out all the problems that you have. Why, why, why is it going to do that? What do you think? There's a reason why St. Peter started off that way. I have two ideas. One is an example to sort of follow. Two, the other would sort of be a change of mindset and mentality. Second one. It is an example. It is an example. But, I mean, there's multiple different examples. Here we see it's a difference of mindset. Sometimes we focus so much on the struggle, but we don't focus on Christ. As Christians, we have to have Christ in front of us all the time. Many times we just look at the trials and the struggles and the issues in front of us. And we are caught up with that. He's saying here, let's focus on, the, on Christ first. Blessed be God the Father. Let's focus on Him. And then we focus on the trials. Because our faith will be built in Him. Does that make sense? Like, it's an adjustment. It's an adjustment. And this is, it, it is an example in the fact that He's teaching us how to respond to our trials. Like, there's a saying that says, don't tell, and I shared this once in a, multiple times in a sermon, don't tell God how big your problem is. Tell your problem how big your God is. Right? Like, it's, it's not about, it's, it's looking past the problem and telling God, like, look, you can take care of this. Yes, this is a very tough problem in my life. This is a very, this, this, whatever, this struggle that I'm going through, my work situation, um, this sickness, this, this family problem, this school issue, this whatever, whatever the issue is, these are big problems. But you know what? God, you're bigger than all this. Thank you. Thank you for giving me this problem. The early church taught that. For us, uh, personally, when I'm in a problem, my first thought is, how do I get out of this problem? But the early church, the fathers, taught us, no, no, no. The problem is a blessing. We're going to read just quickly uh, St. James, which is the letter right before this. Uh, James chapter 1. We're going to read two different verses. Uh, so if somebody can read verse 2 and 3. Chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And 3. But let patience have or four. Sorry, four. Yeah. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be complete and per perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Count it all with joy. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I feel sometimes when I read this verse, I'm like <clears throat> it's a little extreme. Like really, I'm supposed. To... Joy is like. Like, not just, like, smile. Like, this extreme joy. Like, there's no word. It's, it's not even happiness. It's just this, like, this fear. It's from within, yeah. He's saying, rejoice. When St. Paul is in prison in Philippians, he's talking about rejoice in the Lord. He's, and prisons back then are different than the prisons we have here, right? It's not like he's getting, like, you know, his own cell and, no, no, no. It's like dungeons. 
and they're getting beat all the time, and he's getting tortured. And he's telling us, rejoice. Just rejoice in Christ. You have to reach a different level to get to that point. But this point is what we should be striving for. That we rejoice in things, in, in problems and issues, because we're looking at Christ. We're not rejoicing in the trials. It says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Knowing that if I can get through this, I'm going to be so much closer to God. I'm going to, be, I'm going to build so many virtues. Uh, next verse in James, verse 12. If somebody can read 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Again, he's saying temptation will be there. But blessed are you when you go through it. Because there is a prize at the end, the crown of life. There is, every time with trials, there is, we have to always look at Christ in these trials. So St. Peter, that's how he uh, starts us off, by talking about this. And this is a gen, this is suffering, is going to be a major theme in this book, in this epistle. So, I mean, it's good that we're doing it during Lent uh, because it's the idea that you, when you look through, you go past the suffering for Christ. Like, we shouldn't think about the fasting. Why? Because we're thinking about Christ. We're not thinking about the fasting. We're offering something to God. What, what can we offer? Okay, my, my lunch today. I'm going to offer that to God because I love Him. I don't, care about, I don't care about the little bit of hunger that I'm going to feel. It's Okay. Because I'm past going through the trial to think about God. Any questions? Yeah. So just to, to expand a little bit to what yeah. you said, I think the other part of um, being joyful in the trial is knowing that God is with you through the trial. Absolutely. Because just as He was tempted, you're also, in, a, in some way, you're found worthy to be tempted just as He was tempted, right? Um, St. Paul in Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but because he went through the same thing that we went through. So it's like you are joyful because you are not by yourself either. You're walking towards Christ with Christ. Absolutely. What happened on the boat with the disciples and Christ? There was multiple events on the boat, but specifically with, with the concept of the trial. The, when it was rocky. And... Storm. What happened? What was Jesus doing? Sleeping. Sleeping. Okay, if I'm there, I'm a disciple, I'm following Christ, I left my whole life, but now I'm on this boat and I'm going to die. And these are not people who are, I think, being overdramatic. These were fishermen. These the guys lived their whole life on boats. And now they're in complete panic mode because things were rough. Things are shaky. Their life, their boat was... Things were upside down, and the gospel talks about how how extreme the storm was. And what is Jesus doing? Sleeping. If I'm a disciple, I'm losing my mind. First of all, how are you sleeping? It's like you're not no seasickness, no nothing. Jesus, like, what's wrong? What did Jesus do? What was he? What did he get up and do? He calmed the sea. He calmed the sea. St. Peter was on that boat. St. Peter saw that, yes, the sea, I mean, the sea can get rocky sometimes. In our life, we can have rocky times. But he also saw that Christ can just, with one action, with one word, can come. I like what you said, Jack, because I think it's important to, re to remember that we're never alone and that it's, there's a blessing in going in with Christ. So there is a blessing to go through a trial because we're not doing it alone. 
everything we do in our life with Christ is a blessing. So if we're going through a trial with Christ, we're going together. St. Paul calls Christ co-worker. We're co-workers with God. That's, that's a big statement to, to make. But he says that confidently because of all the struggle. St. Paul, when he writes in Corinthians about his being shipwrecked, uh, being whipped, being beat, being all of this stuff. And he's happy. And he's thanking God for it. He's only able to do that because he knows he's doing it for Christ. We're never going to get through a trial, a struggle in our life, an anxiety in our life, alone. We will never get through it. Or we might get through it, but not in the right way. Right? Like, the world tells us, you're going through this problem? Easy. Just Google it, and there's a solution. Uh, there's, you're going through this medical problem? Easy. First of all, diagnose yourself, WebMD, and then uh, go on Amazon and pick a pill, and you're, you're good. Like, the world tells us there's a different, there's many solutions. But Christ teaches us that He's the only solution. The next thing I really liked about this uh, part that I wanted to focus on is that the genuineness of your faith. What does it mean to have genuine faith? Huh? It's real. It's real. Okay, but what, what, what about it is real? Like he was, he was very specific in the word genuine. It is real. It's not like just A can M. But what 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 about it? When you feel it. When you feel it, okay. What else? There's there's definitely like it's not just it's not the faith where I know my Sunday school answers. I can answer. I can get a perfect. 10 out of 10 on a quiz. But you're right, There's, it's, it's a feeling. What else? You're calm, you're kind of content. Because it follows the trials, what he had just said before. So it's, he's saying like, even though you're going through these things, your genuine faith is like, you're kind, of, you know, you're kind of surrendering in a way. Yes, and, and real faith or genuine faith is faith that has been tested. A person who hasn't been tested... There is no Christian that hasn't been tested. You're tested from day one. Once you really take that leap of faith, obviously when, when a child is baptized, it's the parents that take the leap for them, that take the, they, can, they confess the faith for them. But then, at one point in their life, they have to be tested. Because Christ said it himself. He says, if you want to have eternal life, do what? Carry the cross and come follow me. If he skipped that carry the cross part and come follow me, just that one line would have changed Christianity. But carrying the cross, and remember, he's talking about carrying the cross when? Way before the cross. No one knew what... No one knew what the cross was. No one imagined him on a cross. He talked about carrying the cross. They knew crosses meant death. At that time, the Jews knew that the worst people in the world died on crosses. They never thought about it as Christ. So they wanted to, when they heard about this he says, carry your cross and come follow me. You want me to like, go through struggle? Why? Why? Um, my life is fine. But there is no Christian. You can't call yourself a Christian if we haven't been through a trial, 
and we carried our cross. Everyone needs a cross. Everyone's cross looks different. Right? Everyone's cross looks different. Like, it's, it's not a matter of, uh, like, um, a one cross fits all. Right? Every, everybody's cross is different. Everybody's cross, um, different sizes, different problems, different issues. But we all have crosses. And, and we all have different crosses at different times, too. It's not just, okay, I got my cross in ninth grade. I should be okay now. No, no. We can also have multiple crosses. Um, when I first got ordained, when I was, in, when I, uh, when I was heading to Egypt, Abuna Anthony told me, I was like, oh, what should I, what should I get, whatever. So he's telling me about the Garabayas and the, and the Tonyas and all that stuff. And he's like, uh, I was like, okay, so how many crosses should I, should I get? He goes, no, 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 Abuna, you'll have enough crosses. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, oh, like, what do you mean? Where do I get them? Like, do I get them from here? He's like, Abuna, you'll have a lot, enough crosses. And I didn't understand the, the joke behind it until like much later. But the idea of carrying crosses, it was both. I ended up having like, I have like a table at home with, with like 30 of these crosses. I only wear one, but they're there. Um, but also that you have, you must receive crosses. Everyone has a cross. So, um, that, that genuineness of faith, and he says it's more precious than anything. If all we have is faith, everything is going to be fine. Then no, no trial can uh, be too much for us. If our faith is strong, if our faith is tested and, uh, and, and continues. He says here, uh, being more precious than gold that perishes. Let's remember one thing in Acts chapter uh, 3 or 4. When, he, when him and uh, St. John went to the temple and they found the lame man. What happened with the lame man? They asked him for... They asked him for... He's a beggar. Can we have some money? He's like, listen, we don't have money. We don't have silver, we don't have gold, we don't have money. We're broke. But what we do have is Christ. And then they, they, they said in the name of Christ, stand up. That's the mentality of the disciples. That their faith in Christ, like I can't even imagine that. We read that story so casually. They're, this is not Jesus now. These are people... This guy just denied Christ less than a week. <laughs> uh, sorry, no. This was after 50 days. Less than, you know, two months. And, he, and, and now he's standing there and he sees a man, a lame man, but he's so filled with the Holy Spirit and his faith is so strong that he was able to say, stand up. Then the guards came after him. And he said, what? Like, they said, stop doing that. He said, no. So they took him into jail. In jail, what was he doing? Praising hymns, praising God. He was on a different level at this point. This was just like, nothing can get in his way. You put a jail in front of him? Nothing, it doesn't matter. You know how many times he went to jail to, by the time he wrote this letter? Some people say he wrote the letter in jail. It's not confirmed where he wrote it, but it's still, he was going through struggles and he's able to say, no, 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 genuine faith can get past any type of struggle. The last part is interesting. He says, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having, who having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, Receiving the end of your faith, 
the salvation of your souls. What is the result of genuine faith? Salvation. And I think that is important. Not just any faith, but genuine faith that's tested is what will save us. That's when we go through it and we know that Christ is with us. And this joy that's inexpressible, again, he was just talking about struggles and, and problems and trials, and he's saying, you're going to have a joy that's inexpressible. Why? Because you love the one who you do not see. We sometimes struggle seeing Christ in trials. It's okay. Just know that he's there. And that should be enough for joy. Like, the number one question that you always hear is, why would God do that? This person is uh, a person who loves God. Why would they give them this problem, this issue, this disease, this situation, whatever? How should we answer that? How would you answer that? They're a good person. They're a godly person. But one day they wake up and they there's a, a serious issue. Life-threatening. Is the trial sometimes not for that person, but for someone else to see? But, but would God really make someone suffer to show to, for, for, for somebody else's lesson? The blind man was blind. Well, so what was the purpose? For the, glory of God. for the glory of God, but in that he he was like he went through this. God did that for a reason, but I'm talking about in a different situation. Like let's let's imagine somebody who's working on their spiritual life, really like really taking it serious, really starting to read the Bible and going to church and taking communion, whatever, whatever, like. Confessing, like really living a godly life. And one day they find out their life's been changed by something. Some, something happens. An accident, a situation, a disease, whatever. Well, Why? Didn't you say that sometimes trials don't always come from God, but He allows them? Yeah, to... but why would He allow it? Because so He loves Him. Huh? Loves, uh, love Him. So it's out of love that He allows. And here He says... Rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Maybe that person needed this for their salvation. Like, the, the phrase, I, I always go back to this. I never understood it till I got older. That they call, that uh, in the Egyptian community, they call cancer, uh, something that medical uh, yeah yeah the disease the disease of paradise uh, like you start like, how this is they don't there's no cure for this why would it because people who have it rejoice because sometimes they need that in order for the salvation God cares only or let me say this this way. God cares specifically for our salvation. He cares about everything else too. But he created us and he gave and he died for us and was resurrected for our salvation. Whatever it takes. For the sake of discussion, does a Christian have to go through trials to, to gain something? Can a Christian live their life without temptation or without trials? There is no Christian without temptation. There is no Christian without a trial. Maybe different levels. Different levels. Different levels. I mean, not, not everybody has to get diseases and this and that. No, no, you can live your life fine. But your trial could be something else. Your trial can be financial. It could be work-related. It can be family-related. It could be whatever. Everybody's trials look differently. But we have to carry our cross. And we don't just carry the cross, because we have to carry the cross, and the second part is follow him. We have to follow him. But you so, can you can carry the cross for somebody else. You can carry the cross. And that's and that's the next part here. Carrying the cross for someone else, 
You still have your own cross. But that, yeah, but consider it your own. Yes. Like relative and you carry the yes. cross with them. Yes, exactly. So for example, how, how do we, when do we learn about that? Christ teaches us that everything in, is in the Bible. When do we learn about somebody else carrying somebody else's cross? Simon. Simon. The Cyrene. Right? Like, it's, the way it's done in Passion, the Passion movie, is very um, dramatized and this and that, and they make it seem like he had, whatever, whatever the reason is, even if he was hesitating in the beginning, he held the cross of Christ. And by doing so, he taught us that we must do the same. That we must carry, carry our cross and carry the cross of others. That's what love is. That's sacrificial love by helping others. We know somebody's going through something. We don't say, no, no, that's you and I'm me. No, we're, we're human and we, we, we are here. God said love, um, Christ said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't say love your neighbor. He says love your neighbor as yourself. So if you're carrying your own cross, what should you do for your neighbor? Help them carry their cross. Weep with those who weep. Weep with those who weep, but also rejoice with those who rejoice. It's, it's, it, everything's intertwined. There is no, there's no solo Christian. You can't be a solo, uh, solo Christian. Um, let's read. Any any other questions or comments? Um, if somebody can read from ten to uh, the end of twelve. The salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was, was, who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Okay, stop right there for a second. What is he talking about? This is very interesting. Who is he talking about? The prophets. So, throughout the Old Testament, all the prophets, what was the role of a prophet? Foretell what's going to happen. How? Through the Spirit. So the Spirit would enter, and then they would do what? The, share the message. Right? They, so they did many different things. They spoke about, they prophesied, right? They gave messages to the people at that time. It wasn't just about the future. It was about the moment. Um, and they were giving types of Christ. They were giving examples of Christ. For example, Isaiah. When you read Isaiah, and we're going to read a lot of it during Holy Week, when he talks about certain things, you're just like, wait, how did they not see it? How do we miss it? Like, when he's talking about, and they're going to um, tear his clothes, and they're going to sell his uh, get, uh, put uh, put his clothes up for lots, and they're going to uh, put a spear through him, and then no bone is going to break. And like you're reading in, in in our church, we put that next to the gospel. We read the prophecies, these Isaiah prophecies, in the sixth and the ninth hour on Good Friday, right next to what's actually happening. So we see kind of like a side-by-side. Side. We're reading the prophecies, and then we see the response to the prophecy. And this is, this whole thing, the purpose, they were speaking for the salvation of the people. They were messengers. There was no priests at the time, right? The priests at the time weren't, they, they weren't as active. Yes, we, they were high priests, like Zechariah and, and, you know, all the tribe of Levites. But the prophets were there to chastise the people. How? Because God was speaking to them. And their focus was salvation. Anyone who's living 
anyone who's living a godly life is focused on their salvation. That's it. That's the most important thing in our life. We were made to live with God. After the mess that happened in the, in, in, with Adam and Eve, Christ had to come and redeem us and transform our world and give us a chance now to be saved. And He came for the salvation of all mankind. So that's the number one goal. Like, we get caught up in the world. We get caught up with all, right? Like, uh, Christ talks about the thorns. Mm -hmm. uh, when, the, the, when the word of God falls on thorny ground, like it chokes. We get choked by, by what's happening around us. But we always have to keep the focus on the salvation. And he's saying here that the prophets were focusing on the same salvation that you were, but what was the problem? They had a problem. It says, searching, uh, verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. St. Peter is really giving props to these Christians. He's really making sure, he's like, you guys are better than angels. You guys are more advanced than the prophets. Why? What, what did these early Christians have that the prophets and the angels didn't have. That's a big deal. The Holy Spirit. Exactly. The Holy Spirit. What else? The purification process. The purification process. Excellent. What else? Faith. I feel like. And the, well, not that the prophets didn't have faith. They obviously did. But it's just more... More, because more than faith. Well, I, I say faith because they didn't see Christ, but they still believed in Him. Whereas yeah. the prophets, you know, were filled with the Holy Spirit. And but they didn't see Christ either. They They're did. talking about something thousands of years later. Yeah. So it's not faith. They actually, I think, had more faith. But what what do we have? Let's talk about ourselves, because we're the same as this letter's to us. Really? What else? You're 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 like you're talking about parts of it. Sacraments. Sacraments. What was what are the purposes of the sacrament? Salvation. Salvation. We have an end goal. Everybody, everybody from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Noah, Isaiah, Daniel, Elijah, Ezra, you name them. The Hall of Fame. Best people in the world, the ones who are here, when they died, what happened? Yeah. Nothing. They couldn't live with God. They were preaching about God. They had God come, the Spirit came, and He spoke to them. They were excellent people. Yeah, everybody's falls and right, like. But at the end of the day, what we have that they don't have, or they didn't have when they were alive, now, in the second coming, it's different. And after Christ died and resurrected and took them, <coughs> went into Hades and took them up with him, that's different. But I'm talking about at the time when Isaiah was alive, and me now. Who has the better, like, I'm not going to say better chance, because Isaiah didn't have a chance. Didn't they have hope? But it wasn't, He's talking here about a living hope. They've, they had hope about something, not one they're alive. Yeah, but do you think they knew, they obviously knew what is to come. So they must have had hope that Christ will come and redeem them, just as He will redeem the rest Absolutely. of Absolutely. But their Nothing situation... That, right? Yeah, so he's saying, he's saying here, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully... 
who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. They knew about this grace that we would receive. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in with them, who was, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was reveal, revealed that not to themselves, but to us. That's tough. Imagine being one of those people and in a really rough time and sharing and saying, it's not going to happen with me, but you know what? You're going to have the best. Some, it's going to be amazing. Christ is going to come. God is going to come, become man. He prophesied about everything, Isaiah. Remember, he prophesied about a virgin will give birth. What? And they were going to name the child Emmanuel. Like, he prophesied about everything. Then he prophesied like, the suffering servant, which is who? Christ. And he talked about him leading to the cross. And he will be lifted up. Like, it's, it's amazing that God would allow them to say all, these, all of these things, but not experience it themselves. Like, you know, the, you know, the expression of, you know, I'm, I'm, I was uh, born in the wrong age. Haram, like they, they, they were good people. God picked them for a reason. But we, we were the benef beneficiaries of their message. The last thing, um, just to end with this, it says, to them it was revealed that not themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you, through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven things which the angels desire to look into. This concept is salvation. Angels don't have salvation because angels never had a choice. Angels, it was just in the beginning with Lucifer and all that stuff, but angels don't have the ability to confess. Angels don't have the ability to um, take communion. They attend. They can't take communion. When we, when we, at the end of liturgy, when Abuna throws the water up, he says, O angel of the sacrifice flying high with his hymn, remember us before the Lord that he may forgive us our sins. You, he, they can't do anything, but they can intercede when we say the intercession of Archangel Michael, for example. So we have this salvation that no one else before Christ was able to have while they're alive. And it's something if we if we treat it as precious as like if we treat our faith and salvation as precious as we treat our material things or our goals or our desires or whatever our life will be um, completely changed and glory be to God forever. Amen. Any questions or comments? Okay. Uh, like we've been saying for the past weeks, if we could just, let's continue reading chapter 1 because it's just, it's, it's better for us also um, if we have any questions from prior weeks or, or upcoming weeks, we can, we can discuss it uh, um, together. Thank you.